Welcome to the Fertility Podcast, where we aim to educate and empower you on your fertility journey, whatever stage you're at. I'm Natalie Silverman, a broadcaster and fertility coach, and I had my son after successful fertility treatment. And I'm Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant. We'll be your trusted guides, chatting each week with experts and people just like you to let you know you're not alone. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of the Fertility Podcast. I have to share what's been going on. I've just been kind of dancing around my... So I record in a voiceover booth because with my other hat on, I work as a voiceover artist. And I was just explaining to Kate that I've got quite a persistent, creaky floorboard. And yesterday, very excitedly, I was doing a job with Netflix and I was stood in this position for two and a half hours. So I think I've overdone it. I think I've ruined my floorboard. And I very helpfully said, you just need to get a nail and nail the floorboard back down until Natalie said, yeah, but that means lifting the whole booth up and out so that you can do that. So I wasn't very helpful with my um, carpentry. So if, if you there. hear this, I don't know if you can hear the creak. Anyway, I apologize. Only slightly. I apologize. So we are midway through our Fertility Matters at Work series and it's been brilliant hearing the feedback. It really has to know that we are really hitting the point with what we're sharing. Our previous episode was talking about issues in teaching and I would had a message from a teacher saying that she was really nervous about having the conversation at work. So we were really pleased to be able to signpost you to fertility issues in teaching and we're going to be sharing more conversations about specific sectors as we go on. But today's episode is really honing in on the psychological impact of what dealing with treatment means in the workplace because it's so at the crux of all of this isn't it it really is and i think um often we're we're so focused on the physical aspects of treatment aren't we that we forget about the emotional aspects and they're so important and and we need to spend time considering those and seeing how they're impacting on our general mental health and particularly as we talk about in this episode about you know the fact that you spend so much time at work that you can end up being so miserable so it needs to be something we consider. And I don't think we need to do much more than bring in our guest today Julian Boutelet because she's so brilliant and so interesting and we could have talked for ages but we will talk to Julianne again and she has featured on the podcast before so have a listen I think there'll be so much here that will be of use to you and please 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 know that you know what we're trying to do here is highlight the importance of people like Julianne and the support that is available for you to make sure that you you aren't getting to the point where you know you're really in a difficult dark place get yourself a cup of tea if you're able to and enjoy the episode we're really pleased to welcome back Julianne Boutaleb, who is the clinical director and founder of the Parenthood in Mind practice. Now, Julianne is so passionate and highly experienced perinatal psychologist who's worked for over 15 years in the NHS and private practice with parents and parents-to-be and their babies and their bumps who have needed support with a wide variety of issues, including anxiety, depression, both during and after pregnancy. Uh, she helps people deal with pregnancy loss and reproductive loss, attachment issues. She has this amazing team of psychologists and psychotherapists with decades of experience between them. So Julianne, welcome back to the Fertility Podcast. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Lovely to see you, Kate and Natalie. Oh, thank you. It's great to have you. And we've got lots of questions for you, Julianne. But before we start, I wanted to look at your Insta account because it Sorry. is one of my favourites. And I'm always resharing what you post. And, and I want to ask you a bit about it because I can tell that there's so much love that goes into it. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to read something that you'd shared today, if you don't mind. Yeah. So one of the posts started saying, help seeking in the perinatal period. It's so difficult to reach out, to say out loud, I need help. At no other point in our lives do we need help more and yet fear asking for it. 
The fear of being exposed, of being judged, of being misunderstood, of admitting too much. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what we're talking about. And I just wanted to mention it. And are you writing? Is this you? Is this your voice? Yeah, this is my voice. And and it's my voice, but it's all of the clients' voices that I hear on a daily basis. And it's, I suppose it's the voice that you don't often hear. And I think what's really telling is, of course, it's often the voice that is scared. It's the voice that is ashamed of having needs in the workplace. It's the voice probably of an otherwise very capable, competent, you know, ward manager or um, assets uh, manager in the corporate world. These are people who are often very used to being out in the world and feeling like they know what they're doing, like they know what they need and they can ask for it. They're often managers in the NHS. They're often maternity staff. I deal with a whole range of people. But at this period in their lives, they find themselves very unusually in a place where they need help, where they need support, where they turn up to work and actually, yes, they've got their suit and tie on or they've got their mask of makeup on. But actually inside they're crumbling, inside they, they're desperately ashamed and sad and feel like they're falling apart on a good day, feel like, you know, no one's going to understand what's going on for them on a bad day. And so it, it's their voice, really, um, in, in that little excerpt that you've read. And I think the bit that I want to add is it is as all consuming as that when you're in the middle of finding out that you're infertile, of trying to work out where to go next with this. Um, and I think one of the things that people forget is that we spend most of our lives at work. Whatever about masking it when you're at, you know, the family bar mitzvah or the Christmas meal or the girls out, you know, the girls night out for a few drinks. Actually, you've got to do this masking business and hold it together for between 40 and 60 hours a week when you think of it in a work instance. And so the idea that this huge traumatic shift and transition in people's lives shouldn't be thought about in the workplace is, is just mind-blowing for me. How could it not be when it's actually where most of us spend most of our lives um, as an adult? I, I completely understand what you're saying there. And, and I often think about when, you know, sl- slightly different focus, but when someone's in a job that they don't enjoy and in fact when they hate their job and the amount of time like you say that you spend in a job and how that then impacts on every other aspect of your life and as you say if you're then dealing with a fertility issue and trying to keep the lid on that when you're in the workplace but because it's also in also overwhelming and consuming that it's so difficult to do that and that's going naturally going to impact on your ability to do your job, isn't it? Absolutely. And this is often where clients come to see us, where they've got to that stage of overwhelm, where actually what they've usually done in terms of coping strategies isn't working anymore. You know, the 6am run before work or the drinks out with the guys after a long shift, those things aren't cutting it anymore. Because essentially, as you say, they're struggling at work and they're struggling in their personal life. And the other thing about work is that it's often a place that we turn up, um, you know, and many of the clients I speak to, where we, we feel good. I mean, you know, notwithstanding the fact that we have struggles and, you know, stresses, but it's often a place where we, we can, you know, feel, it was not too big a word to say, you know, feel loved, feel appreciated, feel like we're useful and, you know, that we have a purpose. 
absolutely absolutely powerful and then for that to be a place where you're turning up and failing that can really sit very uncomfortably for many of us who are used to um you know work as a creative outlet or work as a place where we feel seen and recognized in positive ways so often the people i see have have come in a state of overwhelm they're not sure why you know that they they're not able to concentrate they can't understand why that sort of future focus of a PowerPoint to the board is just beyond them at the moment. You know, they often come not necessarily saying I'm going through a fertility struggle and I can't cope. They often come actually more with the symptoms that I'm talking about, not being able to concentrate, avoiding the drinks after work for fear that somebody's going to say that they're pregnant, um, low mood and what some would call heightened reactivity that, you know, actually they're at work and they're getting triggered um, the bosses sort of called them in and said, listen, what's going on? Um, I've asked for that piece of work two weeks ago. You're normally on it. What is going on? And the fear of disclosure. You know, how do I start this conversation at work? You know, where do I actually disclose? Am I going to be protected in this or am I potentially going to have to deal with a manager who's saying, mm, sorry, doesn't really matter what you're going through we need that commission, you know, you need to get on it and, and get it done. So the workplace is a very complex place for people to be navigating and the stresses and the demands of work is a very stressful place for people to be navigating alongside what we all know is, you know, an incredibly stressful roller coaster of medical treatment. Um, and loss and trauma. So when we're talking about the psychological impact of infertility, I think as well that validation that what you're experiencing is a loss, is a bereavement, that you are dealing with that loss of being able to conceive naturally as a starting point for people when they're starting to process what they're feeling is something that's still not really given the airtime that it deserves, is it? No, and, and we have to go right back. I mean, we have been talking about this for almost 20 years now. We go back to, you know, the grandma of all of this, Alice Domar, and her, you know, key study in the 90s, where she likened um, hearing about an infertility diagnosis, you know, to the psychological impact of hearing about cardiac problems or indeed receiving a cancer diagnosis. And often when I share that information, people go, no, you go, well, actually, they, they gave out psychological measures. And, and yes, because what we're talking about, Natalie, is is the death of something. I talk about the reproductive story, which is a, a fabulous concept I've got from reproductive psychiatrists um, in the States, Jaff and Diamond. And um, we, we grow up with a story, even if your story is, oh, I don't want children, whatever that story is, it forms part of who we believe ourselves to be and who we hope we're going to be in terms of becoming a parent. Aurelie Athan, who's also coined the phrase matrescence, um, has come out just this year with a really interesting paper on reproductive identity. And essentially what she says is that this is you know, the assumptions that we carry from very, very young, that you're going to be a mother of two or that you're going to be a mother that falls pregnant easily. You know, all of these assumptions that the story that we may have joined up with our partner and share with him or her suddenly that story is abrupted it's almost like one client said to me it's like you're playing a record and the record player goes Arr! and it scratches across this narrative this trajectory 
that is an existential loss tantamount to the other medical losses that I mentioned. Um, people find themselves in psychological freefall in that moment where they understand falling pregnant is not going to happen for them. Um, it's also a moment of trauma. And again, people often balk when I say trauma. And it's trauma in the, the sense that what you've understood about yourself and what you've understood about your body and what you've understood about your partner and what you've understood about your life is in one moment, and usually many moments, threatened. You're basically told, no, that's not how it's going to happen for you. And I guess that's the bit I want to sort of emphasize. It often isn't just one moment, is it? It's a cumulative roller coaster of moments. It goes from diagnosis to possibly starting treatment to experiencing your first loss in terms of failed IVF through to and including reproductive injuries like Asherman syndrome or losing an ovary, etc, etc, etc. And it's also trauma in the way that trauma from previously may reemerge at this time. So this body that now is not doing what it should be doing is potentially also the site of earlier sexual trauma or earlier reproductive trauma, you know, around um, earlier hospitalizations or earlier treatments that we've had. And, and this is the, the work of, I'm sure both of you have heard of um, Bessel van der Kolk, where he says, you know, that the body keeps the score. But actually in that moment where you're getting a medical diagnosis, you're also flooded with earlier memories of ways in which your body may have let you down. Um, I've worked with partners, for example, in heterosexual couples where one of them actually kept having blackouts when they went to the clinic. And what we were able to get to in the couple's work with them was an understanding that actually he remembered, but obviously didn't fully remember, going with his mother to hospital. She had epilepsy and whenever she had a seizure, she was an only mother and he would have to accompany her to hospital that had come out of the ether again because he was now accompanying his wife to medical appointments. And so it's trauma in every which way you look, both in terms of the meaning, the way in which it implodes, all of these assumptions that we have about ourselves, our bodies, our partners, our life stories, and it's trauma in that it reaches back into and reignites earlier traumas that we may have experienced. You mentioned just a little bit earlier when you're talking about the impact in the workplace and the difficulty it is for an individual to do their job. Can you just expand a little bit more on what it's like for somebody day to day when they're facing this trauma, um, this, this kind of um, having to reinvent their story that they perceive that it would be and then having to go through fertility treatments all while in the workplace? How would that look for them on a day to day basis? Yeah. And then this is the important thing. You know, I'm obviously talking about it sort of in the realm. That's not how people experience it. You know, people experience it getting on the tube, let's say, in pre-pandemic times or, you know, now when we're going back into office spaces as having a panic attack on the tube, as not being able to get up in the morning and not understanding why. People experience it as a sense of dread. You know, why is that PowerPoint presentation so difficult now when actually previously I would have done those in my sleep? Why am I finding it so difficult to talk to that um, member of my team who 
you know, isn't doing what they need to do. Well, again, there could be a fear of conflict. In other words, it turns up in every which way in the workspace. Um, even when you get to the place which can often be more containing and that you've decided you're going to go down the treatment route, that in itself raises issues for people who may be used to appearing in a certain way at work, you know, appearing very together, appearing very competent, being able to plan forward. We know, don't we, of, of many instances where sort of um, women in particular are often afraid to go for the interview, to take the promotion because they fear this sense of, you know, possibly falling pregnant or, you know, needing to be available for treatment. And that might also be the ways in which these sorts of um, difficulties turn up at work. And again, to the untrained eye, it, it can be very confusing for a manager that's trying to help or trying to understand. Because like it or not, most people choose not to disclose. Um, you know, earlier studies, as we know from Nicola Payne and the Middlesex University, is that only one third of people chose to disclose. You know, there is still most people are trying to front it out um, at work. And I know I did. And, and I think one of the things that can be even more difficult is that if you're a manager yourself, I, one of the, the worst scenarios I worked with was a, a manager who then had a colleague on her team who was also going through fertility treatment and was asking her for time off at a time when she needed time off. So it, it's... It can be very, very difficult. The other way it emerges as well, Kate, is um, interpersonal conflict at work. And I think this is a huge area that really is not well managed in, in the workplace, um, where suddenly that colleague who's not pulling their weight really takes on a sense of, you know, how can they not know you know I need them to do this for me or you know how can they not know and often when I work with with people that's another element that we'll sort of expand on and say well she doesn't know because you haven't told her she she doesn't actually know likewise I've worked with people where there's there may be in a grievance procedure where the boss doesn't know what's going on and can only see the person not turning up to work or they're they're working diligently through a sickness policy where People have been absent from work. And again, they don't know the reasons behind these absences. Um, so I think it's really cru crucial for employers to understand that often um, hitherto very competent, um, you know, well-meaning colleagues suddenly, you know, behaving in this way, it would always be worth thinking what is actually going on underneath this. Um, it is quite amazing how often people get taken down a complaints procedure or a grievance procedure where actually what's happening is, in my language, attachment needs are showing up at work. Um, the need to be protected, the need to be supported, the need to be understood. And again, a lot of people might say to me, oh, well, they don't belong in work. And actually, that's not true. Um, we're doing a lot of work. I, I work a lot in the NHS at the moment with um, individuals and teams where of course the work takes a toll um there's a fabulous um psychologist called dr una mccluskey and she talks about attachment needs in the workplace and how often we can get into groups of people almost like family where that boss who isn't 
supporting you then becomes, you know, the mother that never supported you that, you know, very quickly when we're in these emotionally precarious places in our lives, workplaces can take on huge emotional significance for us, both for good and for bad. Um, I hope that makes sense, what I was saying there. It's so fascinating to actually have it explained when you think, like we said earlier, of how much time we're spending in these places when so much stuff from an emotional point of view can be going on. And we know that the mental health conversation has hugely improved at work. There's still a long way to go. And we've seen what's been happening in terms of the menopause conversation and, and, and how that is is progressing. And, you know, that's why we're really keen to to highlight this issue. And I think if if people are listening from an employer point of view thinking, oh, my goodness, this is, you know, this is a lot to take on. I mean, that's kind of why we're doing what we're doing is to say, look, there's people like Julianne who can come in and explain things more. And we know it's a huge education piece, but but when we're trying to encourage people, Julianne, to feel confident about having this conversation when there might not be anything in, in the workplace, and we know there isn't, which is why we, there's so much to talk about this, what do you tell people about dealing with work whilst trying to conceive, about how to go about looking after themselves and starting to see if they can have some kind of supportive conversation? And for me, that this is crucial because, again, it's a Brené Brown quote, but it's shame is often what drives the disconnection at work so often I will say to someone is there anybody at work that you think might be a good bet to have this conversation with and invariably what people find is that as soon as they have the conversation usually there's somebody who really does get it they say gosh I've been through the same thing and then what they sort of create is a little village type scenario in work and I've seen so many individuals do this then they start a supportive whatsapp group or you know they might be the ones to get the information. I might find it for them and send it through. Um, and so what I see happening is that, you know, for one person, there's sort of a ripple effect in, in workplaces where somebody takes it on themselves or, you know, brings it to the HR uh, attention that this is possible and that there are people like yourselves um, putting together resources. And so that's really important the other thing I would say is it's really important um this probably sounds a bit strange but I'm not a big one for people taking long-term sick leave I, I really do think work is a very important place when you're going through difficulty in life I talk a lot about containment um, and Freud himself talked about love work and play being the sort of three main containers for who we are and work is an important part of that often when I see people saying well I just want lots of time off and that will do it I say, yeah, but then you're going to lose a place where you have people asking after you. You're going to lose that reason for getting up in the morning, getting showered and getting out there. And that's really important, particularly as we know, don't we, when fertility treatment it is not a guaranteed, um, there's no guarantee. And also outcome. I think, Julianne, that then makes you put your life on hold a little bit because you're, you're not doing the other things exactly. that give you joy within your life. And therefore the focus is all about trying to conceive. Exactly. And so what I always say to people is, how can it be more bearable? Let's think together about what you do need. Is it about, and again, this for me is about short, sharp wins. You know, is it about stepping away from the computer? Is it about enlisting someone to go out for a walk with every day? You know, is it about having lunch outside the building? Can you take yourself away from the workplace? And added to that, I would usually teach them, you know, ways, you know, grounding techniques, 
understanding how they can use the breath to, to, to you know, to bring themselves down, understanding the impact stress will have on their bodies, looking at exercise, diet, nutrition, um, looking at the power of reaching out to even if it's just one person in the workplace. And if there's no one in the workplace, is there somebody that you can ring at lunchtime? have a little bit of a cry, get the oxytocin rush and then go back in for the meeting. I also look at things like pacing. Is it possible to pace your work day, you know, or your work week? Is it possible maybe to sit in your PJs at home and, and work and get that report finished at home and then go in the next day for the vital meeting? Are there wins in that sort of way, rather than leaving the workplace altogether. Because we know from some of the um, conversations we've had on the Fertility Matters at Work Instagram that during the lockdown, when it was at its height and so many people were working from home, that over 80% of people were saying that once treatment had resumed, that navigating it was so much easier with having that flexibility of being at home because you didn't have to hide in the loo to cry. You didn't have to hide in the loo to have a difficult conversation. So reminding people that they've they've worked from home before and whilst we know people are going back maybe there's more conversations to have about that flexibility again isn't it that is really important and I think the other thing that employers hopefully should hold on to is that productivity did not wane across the, the lockdown it stayed the same or was more productive and I hope we can hold on to the power of the flex in the workplace you know not just for people going through fertility treatment but for anybody at any stage of you know the transition to parenthood that actually most people you may be working part-time but you're not a part-time worker <laughs> you are often giving it all you can and sometimes these little flexes whether it be for an appointment whether it be for working home in the morning and coming in in the afternoon are really worth it in terms of holding on to and retaining valued employees um because essentially the these i guess what's different and important to sort of stress as well is that these are hopefully the employees that you know will go on to have that um added skill set for their own colleagues and for their own teams in other words we're adding a sense of making workplaces more parent friendly and what we know about that is that when that happens retention is usually much better and you know that you will get more um, commitment long term from your employees as I always say to the organizations that I work with it's all about productivity profitability retention and attracting talent exactly. it's those four, it's those four exactly. things which is so important just because totally I'm agree. I'm very nosy and I love to hear about the <laughs> ins and outs of things in your experience of working with individuals in who are trying to conceive and navigating their fertility treatments while in the workplace. Can you share kind of one of the most trickiest situations that you've come up with or you've, you've come across? And I'm kind of putting you on the spot here now to remember perhaps an individual situation, but can you share something that has you found really tricky? Well, two really. One of them was that situation I said in, in a corporate setting that the manager um, who I was seeing then had a colleague come to ask for the flexibility uh, around her fertility treatment that actually my client needed and was not getting from her manager. So that was a really tricky one because what it brought up was huge resentment and rage actually in my client that she was willing to give and be flexible whilst not being able to you know, ask for that herself. So that was probably the trickiest. Another very tricky and common scenario 
um, I work a lot with maternity staff, as you can imagine, and you know the likes of Sophie Martin and her wonderful account, The Infertile Midwife, is, is so typical of what I often see, you know, from maternity staff who are struggling with fertility treatment and pregnancy loss. Um, and I myself was a perinatal psychologist without a baby for many years, you know, that there is there are some um, work settings that are particularly difficult to navigate because you're literally dealing with babies, pregnant women, um, dealing with loss. Um, in other words, you know, your workplace can be very, very triggering. And just another scenario, and I think this is often around which my post sort of mentioned slightly, is managers' um, own experiences of being looked after. I saw a client whose manager was going through cancer treatment and poo-pooed the idea that fertility treatment was anything that she would need time off for because she herself did not take time off. And so I think that's often the place where it can get particularly fractious, where there can be a sense of, well, I went in and out every day to hospital, you know, fertility treatment, just fertility treatment. So a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge about what fertility treatment actually entails. Um, and that mixing, unfortunately, with personal experiences of either being supported or not supported in the workplace I think that can be a very fractious mix. I mean, it's complicated. There's no easy way of saying it. So complicated. And that is why it needs to be addressed with people who have experience in this, be it lived or worked experience to help organisations support people better. And Julianne, we will make sure that we signpost everybody to Parenthood in Mind and your Insta, which I've mentioned at the start. As I said, it's one of my mm. favourites. Just some of the Thank images you. that you share. I'm like, she must spend hours finding these amazing <laughs> accounts. Or you've just got an insight to all the brilliant illustrators who capture the tone and mood of, of what this whole struggle is about so thank you for all you do sharing because I know oh, we all know you. how time consuming being present on social media is but we also know how amazingly beneficial it is and I think for anybody yeah. listening we're highlighting once again how you are so not alone and how no. would you say Julianne the earlier you can get support for your mental health in terms of you know coming to speak to someone like you rather than feeling like you described that you've just lost so much of who you are with what's going on well I think in, in parenting terms we often talk about the village and for me and I know it's a cliche but the sooner you can build your village when you are you know trying to get past the first stumbling block in your potential journey to parenthood the sooner you can do that the better and we know that across the research the sooner you can reach out for support the sooner that you can build you know what we call a supportive constellation around you of podcasts of people you can reach out to on instagram of learning some of the skills i've talked about um of building a, a you know a support network in the workplace alongside you know policies and and other things that you need support with that is what the, 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 the you know the support network should look like for anybody going through these issues in the workplace and it isn't always about I think what you said Kate you know I think the implication or the fear in workplaces might be that this is going to affect profitability or it's going to affect costs these things don't cost 
anything. But the sooner you can reach out for them and use them, the better for you across the whole transition to parenthood. Thank you so much, Gillian. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me uh, to, to speak. And I'm absolutely delighted that you guys are doing this work. It's so needed. So well we've done. Got, we've got a lot. We've got a lot to do, all of us. But like we're saying, collectively, <laughs> you know, that's what we're all kind of. And I think that's what's amazing is that there, there are these different areas of expertise that we can pull together. Definitely. I know that there was a lot of information there. I mean, I just was like happy to let Julianne talk. She's got such fascinating references and I, I'm, I'm hoping that um, I'm able to include some of them in the show notes for you. But we will definitely be putting her details for you to find out how you can get in touch if you want to. And you must follow her Instagram. As I said, it's definitely one of my favourites and there's such love put into it from Julianne. The posts, every time you read one of the posts, you're just like, whoa, you're spot on. And I, I have to stop myself doing those little hands, those raised hands to her because I want to be a bit more intelligent with my responses. Um, what did you make of what she was sharing? <laughs> oh, I mean, I could completely agree. I could I could just listen to her for so long. She's, she's so knowledgeable. She's just got the most wonderful way about her and the things that she's saying just seems to, to, to resonate hugely. I love the all the different links that she was pulling in and the research and yeah it's just great to absorb everything she's talking about so do know that there is help available for you as we've said we'll put the links I also just want to share with you another example of one of your experiences in the workplace which you can leave at thefertilitypodcast.com if you go to the, the homepage there's a little message that says leave us a message and that's what you're going to hear now Hi Natalie, I'm currently due to be having my frozen transfer next week um, and throughout the process I've been really really open with my work um, and they've been really flexible with um, taking time off and not even having to make up the hours, just just having it off and they've been great. Um, the one thing I would say is that my boss, he doesn't really know what to say to me so I think support is lacking in that sense, yeah kind of says the wrong things and just doesn't really know how to talk to me (laughs) but another good well another positive is that one of the managing directors has just had a baby through IVF with his wife after four goes and so it was really interesting to actually talk to him in the office walls about the experience and actually have these conversations openly in the workplace but yeah just thought I'd let you know I'm looking forward to the podcast tomorrow thank you Don't forget that you can follow at Fertility Matters at Work on Instagram, which is where we're talking about this in much more detail. We've also got some brilliant resources for you to download to help you start the conversations at work and also just find out more about how you can get your organisation involved. And you can also follow Kate at Your Fertility Nurse. And we will be back again next week. Thank you as always for your support. If you want to leave us a review, we love love hearing from you Um, but the most important thing is that you uh, check out the resources that we've got available for you in the show note oh and you know one thing that you can do that I haven't said for a while is you can just follow this podcast because that makes sure that you will get every episode that comes out thank you as always for your support and until the next time 